You know, a lot of times as a pastor, I can't help but look around at the prevailing Christian culture with all of its shallowness and all of its triviality and weakness and ask myself, why isn't there more spiritual depth and strength at a time when there seems to be, and definitely is, more resources available and more opportunity for the church than ever there was before in church history? At other times, I look around at what seems to be a ubiquitous moral insensitivity and, frankly, sometimes outright moral failure and find myself asking, why do so many Christians live defeated lives? Why so much unnecessary disunity in the church? Why so many broken relationships among people who claim to be indwelt by the Spirit but can't seem to get along with anyone? Why so much immorality in the ministry, disharmony in the home, conflict in the workplace, and irreconcilable differences in marriage? I mean, hasn't God called us to rise above all of that? Hasn't God called us to rise above all of that? Has he not given us his word and his spirit to make it all possible? Why so much defeat? And more importantly... How can you and I turn the tide and begin living victoriously for the glory of God, the good in the church, and our own joy? How do we do that? What's the secret? Well, it's really not a secret. It's all contained in the Word of God. We need but to read it and study it and to apply it to our lives. But I think this is the kind of question which the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to address. All of these issues and more are addressed in this short letter of six chapters. These are the most practical concerns of life. Not only for believers living in first century Asia, but just as much for believers in 21st century America. And so today I want to begin by beginning what is sure to be a a fairly lengthy study of a fairly short book believing that God intends to use it to take the saints of Calvary Bible Church to a whole new level of victory in every area of our lives. And so today I want to begin by doing something that you may believe is impossible, as does my wife. I want to give you the book of Ephesians in its entirety, in one message. And let me make my goals here perfectly clear from the beginning. By the end of this service, by the end of this message, I want you to be able to walk out of this room with two things. First, I want you to be able to leave with a fairly comprehensive understanding of Paul's epistle to the church in Ephesus. I want you to be able to walk out of this room today and get in your car and look at your spouse and say, you know what? For the first time in my life, I think I understand Ephesians. I think you'll be able to do that. And second, I want to give you this morning strong encouragement. Strong encouragement. I want you to leave here not only with a knowledge of what this letter is about, but a deep conviction that God has personally provided you with everything you need to live a victorious life. God has provided you everything that you need to live a victorious life, and nothing has been left out. I want you to leave here thinking, there is nothing that God has called me to that I am unable to do. There's no struggle too big, there's no temptation too strong, no conflict so severe that I can't be victorious over it because of the massive provision 
that God has made just for me. And so that's where we're going. Are you ready? Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a pleasure it is for me to come and to crack open this book and to find Jesus all over it. And to know that you have provided him is our treasure. Lord, we know from the Gospels, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field that a man found and having found it by accident almost. He goes and sells all that he has to buy that field so he could have the treasure. The book of Ephesians is all about that treasure. And so, Father, I pray now that you would speak and that we would hear. And, Lord, as today we just begin to scratch the surface and take a a buzz over it, get a bird's eye view of the whole book, I pray, Father, that even now would not be just a didactic exercise, but rather that it would be strong encouragement to us that we can live victoriously. Not that we will live without problem, but we will live above our problems. We will live in the midst of our struggles with joy and with gladness, glorifying your name. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that work in our hearts today. Give us understanding. But change our hearts, we pray. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first thing Paul would have you do when you come to this book of Ephesians, the very first thing that Paul would have you do is discover your riches in Christ. When you crack open the book of Ephesians, what Paul wants you to do is discover your riches in Christ. Now, as you know, whenever you come to a study, a portion of Scripture, the very first thing you need to do is determine the author's Uh, in order to determine the author's meaning, is simply to pay close attention to what is there. What is the text saying? What is written there? What are the words? Look at the words. Don't jump into interpretation yet. Just look at the words. See if you can discover anything by the process of observation. And that's exactly what we call this, observation. It's the process of observation. Now, one of the first things that kind of jumps off the pages at you when you begin reading Ephesians... It's a distinct pattern of repetition in Paul's choice of words. And I'll tell you, if you miss it the first time you read it, all you need to do is read it a second time, and you won't miss it twice. I don't think anybody who reads the book of Ephesians, even the first chapter in its entirety, without quitting, will see a pattern here that you cannot miss. Let's begin by looking at chapter 1, verse 3, and there's where we'll start. Paul gives a salutation and in verses 1 and 2, and I forgot this morning we were going to quote that. Maybe we can do that after. But verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In Christ. You see those two words? Pay special attention to those last two words. This little phrase is crucial to our understanding of Ephesians. You will not understand Ephesians without getting a handle on these two words. Now, this week we're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking it. All I want you to do this week is see it, and I'll tell you a little bit about it. Next week we're going to deal with chapter 1, or at least a portion of it. I'm not sure how much of it yet. We'll see. But next week we're going to get into chapter 1, and we're going to unpack in Christ. 
But the first thing we need to do is see it. This little phrase is crucial to our understanding of Ephesians. In fact, if you have a pencil handy, I want you to do something a little unusual this morning. I want you to follow along with me. And every time we come to the phrase in Christ or its equivalent, I want you to either underline it or draw a box around it. I was originally going to say just draw a box around it, but I'm going to go so quick you may only have time to underline it. Mark it somehow in your Bible. Because once you see this visually, it'll make sense. When I study, you ought to see the page on my computer. When I pick up on a pattern, I change the color of the font. And if you look on my, either in my Bible where I've got it all boxed in, or on my computer, I've got every time in Christ or its equivalent is used, I've got it in blue. And it is everywhere, especially in chapter 1. Let me show you. You ready? Chapter 1, verse 3, we've already mentioned that. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. How? In Christ. Verse 4, God chose us in him. Verse 5, God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, God freely bestowed his grace upon us in the beloved. That's capital B because it's referring to Christ. In the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. Verse 9, according to the kind intention of his will, which he purposed in him. Verse 10, the summing up of all things in Christ. Verses 10 and 11, in him we have also obtained an inheritance. Verse 12, we who were the first to hope in him. Verse 13, in him you also. Verse 15, the faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 20, which he brought about in Christ, chapter 2, verse 6, raised up, you got to pay attention here, raised up with him, seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, three times in one phrase. Verse 7 of chapter 2, kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you have been brought near. Verse 15, God abolished the enmity between us in his flesh. Uh, 2, 15 again, that in himself he might make the two groups one man. Verse 18, through him we have access in one spirit. Verses 20 and 21, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom. Verse 22, in whom also you are being built together. And that's just the first two chapters. There's at least six or seven more in the next two chapters. I'll leave it to you to find. You see a pattern here? I'd say there's a pattern. I'd say Paul's trying to drive home a point. I'd say there's something that Paul does not want us to miss. And if we miss it, we miss everything. In fact, I think uh, by some accounts I've read this week, the term in Christ or its equivalent appears 35 times in these six chapters. I'd say that's an indisputable pattern to pay attention to. Paul keeps repeating and repeating and repeating these words because he wants to make a profound point that we dare not miss. Now, what is that point? What is it that he wants us to see? Well, Remember, we're talking about discovering your riches in Christ. 
This is what Paul wants you to see. And this is maybe an oversimplification. But let's start here, and it'll grow. The first thing that Paul wants us to see, the first thing God wants us to see by having his spirit ordained that Paul used these words, he wants us to see where we are as believers. Or let me emphasize it differently. He wants us to see where we are in Jesus as believers. It's extremely important to Paul that we understand what an unspeakably blessed position we have in Christ. That's where our treasure is. In Christ. That's where all the provision is for life and godliness. In Christ. It's not in a theological system. It's not in uh, spiritual experiences. It is in Christ. In fact, if you don't have a firm grip on how rich you are now that God has united you with his son, then you are in a world of hurt spiritually. Because you're really going to struggle to live with any kind of consistent victory in the practical areas of your Christian life if you don't understand your riches in Christ. If you don't understand where you are in Christ, you won't know how to live. And you have a tidal wave of a problem coming to you. And guess what? Your house will be built on sand. And you thought you spent all these years grounding it and making it solid and bringing in a good income and putting your kids in private school and doing everything right. And you missed the main thing. And your house just tumbles over. You weren't prepared because you missed the main thing. Your walk in the Spirit is bound to be peppered by frequent and seemingly insurmountable defeat if you don't know where you are in Christ. And you won't even know why. You won't even know why. You'll come to my office and say, why is all this happening? Why is my life falling apart? So discovering your riches in Christ begins by knowing where you are. If you're a genuine believer by grace through faith, then God sees you in Christ, bound inextricably to his Son, beneficiary of all that he possesses in heaven and in earth. You are the wealthiest person in the world. You have all the resources at your disposal that God has to offer, and there is nothing lacking. You have at your disposal all that you could ever possibly need to live a victorious Christian life as a child of God. And you may need help bringing those tools or bringing that currency to bear on your life. That's why Christian counseling is important. Real Christian counseling. Bringing the Word of God alone to bear on your problems. And you may need help with that. In fact, the Bible assumes you're going to need help with that. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Confess your sin to one another. You know, you just go through all the one another's of the, of the Bible. In fact, in, in, in Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 3 with me, just as, as kind of a side note. I want to show you this. I better not show you too many things. I promise I'll be done. Hebrews chapter 3. Here's what Paul says. For everyone who wants to be a, a lone spirit, a lone ranger, trying to do the... The, the right thing before God and live a holy life and I'm going to do it all by myself. Listen to what 
The author of Hebrews says, verse 12 of chapter 3, Take care, brethren, be careful that there not be in any one of you an evil, believing heart, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Well, brother, how do, how do I prevent that from happening? It sounds dangerous. It is dangerous. And let me tell you, have not, not ever allowed that to happen in your life. Verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. What's today? Today. As long as there's a today, if your eyes open, you're breathing in and out. It's today. As long as it's called today and Jesus hasn't come back yet, keep encouraging one another day after day as long as it is called today. Why? So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You need each other. The Bible assumes you're going to need help. But you know what? All the help you need is available to you through what God has provided for you in Christ. You say, there's hope for my marriage? Yes. There's hope for my children? Yes. There's hope for me on the job? Yes. There's hope for me with this sinful habit that I can't seem to break? Yes, a thousand times yes. Because all of God's promises for you in Christ are what? Yes. Yes. So discovering your riches in Christ begins by knowing where you are. If you're a genuine believer by grace through faith, then God sees you in Christ. And all that Christ has is yours. Listen to this. You know in your marriage, when you marry someone, guess what? All the stuff that they have is yours. It's yours. They got money? Woo! It's yours. I'm married into that. Well, I didn't, but <laughs> neither did she. So, But guess what else you get? Any debt? It's yours, too. Any marriage problem? I mean, uh, family problems? It's yours, too. Here's what happened when God placed you in Christ. He unified you with Christ. And guess what? Jesus got all your debt. And you got all his inheritance got heaven and earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Paul says, all things are yours. Life, death, the earth, everything is yours. Why? Because you are in Christ and everything that belongs to Him is yours. You think God's going to hold anything out on Jesus? Anything that He needs? Then don't ever think He'd hold out on you. Second, discovering your riches in Christ requires us not only to know where we are, but to remember where we came from. Notice chapter 2. We're back in Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 1. Very first line. You, what? Were, that's past tense, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Look at verse 2. You used to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power, power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3. You formerly lived in the lusts of your flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. In other words, children, people who were about to experience God's wrath in the day of judgment. That's who you used to be. Paul's saying, don't ever forget who you used to be. Don't ever forget it. 
Don't let that control your life on the one hand. In that sense, you forget it. On the other, on the other hand, don't forget it. Remember where God brought you from. Remember who you were. Remember where you were. Paul's saying one of the best ways to really understand how incredibly rich you are is to remember how poor you once were. Reflect upon the abject spiritual squalor you used to live in before you came out of darkness and God transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. Your life, remember, is a living picture. It's a living rags-to-riches story by God's grace. Colossians 1.13, he rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom you have redemption and forgiveness of sins. God changed the place you live. You don't live in that ghetto anymore. You don't live in that swamp, that garbage heap anymore. God's rescued you. He's rescued you. What an amazingly blessed people we are. Some of you know that a couple of, on a couple of occasions the Lord has given me opportunity to go to the country of Haiti to minister there. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Last night I was digging through my notes and, and things, trying to find my stuff from Haiti because I wanted to bring some of that to bear in the, into this message. And I found the first sermon I ever preached in my life was in a grass hut in Haiti on a little island called La Tortue. We called it La Tortue. <laughs> Twelve days. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and I'll never forget my first trip there. I was 28 years old. I never traveled outside the United States before except into Canada. I was completely unprepared for what awaited me when I got off the plane. Let me just take a minute to read to you my first journal entry on that first day of that 12-day trip. Friday, August 10, 1990. Goats and pigs loose in the streets, greedily rummaging through piles of trash and human sewage piled deep between tin roof houses. Women and children bathing openly in the street corners. A dead man lies in the pool of his own blood, shrouded by unwanted palm branches donated by strangers and seemingly complacent passers-by. The air reeks of smoldering rubbish and unkempt humanity. The cries of the helpless street dwellers are overcome only by the intense feeling that I have that I am utterly powerless to do anything to relieve their desperate condition. This is my memory of the first hour of our 12-day adventure into the country of Haiti. That's amazing. It's an amazing place to see. And we see things like that on the news, and it doesn't do it justice. You see it face to face, and it breaks your heart. And it just grosses you out to see people brushing their teeth out of what's draining down the middle of the street. Little kids. I'll never forget when we were leaving. I think we were leaving. We were going to the bus stop. No, we were going to the bus stop. We were getting ready to go to the north part of the country so we could get on one of those little patchwork sailboats you see on the news, the Coast Guard picking up. We had to drive one of them for two hours to get out on this island. But we were going through the darkness. It was early, early morning. We had to catch this bus. And so we're driving through Port-au-Prince, and I looked out. And in, in one of those intersections, they had a, a concrete median, you know, where the street light and the stop, they don't have stoplights, just a street light. And under the street light were two uh, little black boys, they looked like twins, they were about the same size, 
And they were wearing, I'll never forget it, a red shirt and dark shorts, no shoes. And they were curled up in the fetal position against each other. And that was their home in the middle of the intersection. And Paul is saying, that was you. Don't you ever forget where God brought you from. Don't you ever forget what God rescued you from. What a perfect illustration of our lives before God poured out his grace upon us in Christ. Before the Spirit came, we were garbage people. You know what garbage people are? One of the first things that I saw, probably 20 minutes after we got off the plane and we're headed through Port-au-Prince, we came to the dump. And there were people out in, in the dump. And I, I asked one of the guys, the guy who was driving, I said, why are those people in the dump? Well, they live there. That's where they live. See, they got little little shacks set up there. And, and the, the trucks come and they dump the garbage from the rich people up in the mountain. And they rummage through it and they find their food there and they find their treasure there and anything they have they find there. Before God came and gave us his spirit, we were garbage people. Living according to the lust of our flesh, following the prince of the power of the air, just like the sons of disobedience, children of wrath. Hoping that one day by digging through the rubbish of human wisdom and sensual pleasure and substance abuse and godless entertainment and worldly wealth, position and power, that we would eventually discover something of real value. Something that makes life meaningful, satisfying, full of glory. But no matter how much we dug into that heap of rubbish that the world offers us, the only thing we could find is more filth. Until the Lord Jesus Christ came along. One day the king of heaven and earth came and parading into our little squalid dump and called you by name. Said, Come home with me. You don't have to live like this anymore. I've prepared a place for you in my own home where you will be truly rich, where you will be happy and satisfied beyond your imagination because you will be with me. Come and be my child. I have paid the price already to adopt you into my family. All you have to do is say yes. Come. Come, be mine. And everything that is mine will be yours. And you will lack for nothing in this life ever again, if you will. But come. And so we came. And Paul is kind of serving as tutor in the king's palace when he speaks to us. And he says, I know what it's like. I know how easy it is to forget where you came from. You can enjoy all the privileges and all the experiences of being a Christian, and you'll forget where you came from so that you will not appreciate what you have. But here's the problem. If you don't appreciate what you have, you'll never be able to handle life the way God has ordained for you to handle it. And you'll be wondering why. Jesus promised everything. Why why is my life so miserable? And the answer usually is because you're, you're going back to the old ways of being a garbage person. You've got to get that out of your system. You've got to start living like a king. And so by faith we left that old life and became an, an adopted child of the king of heaven and were lavished. That's Paul's word, not mine. 
lavished with all the rights and privileges of his only begotten son. That's the picture Paul is painting for us. Are you having trouble with your marriage? Are you having problems with impure thoughts, immoral habits, getting along with people? The first step to living a truly blessed life, a victorious life before God, is to come to terms with how unspeakably rich you are as a Christian in Christ. That's what chapters 1 through 3 are all about. That's what chapters 1 through 3 are all about. And that's why in chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says, he prays for us that we may, quote, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And then closing with verses 20 and 21, it's as if he's unable to contain his joy anymore. And so he breaks out into a psalm of praise singing, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's the first half of the book. That's the first half of this complicated letter. And it's not that hard to to comprehend. The first half of the book of Ephesians has one main goal, to make you understand how unspeakably rich you are in Christ. The second half of the book has an entirely different goal. After spending three chapters doing nothing but pouring over our heads, as it were, the infinite riches of Christ, Paul steps back and says, Now, Live in such a way that is consistent with this treasure. You have infinite resources at your disposal. Now, live like a king. Or to say it differently, determine to live richly in Christ. Quit living like a beggar. Quit living like a garbage person. Live like a king. And it doesn't matter how much money you're making. It doesn't matter if you're living in a, in a scrawny apartment in Nigeria or whether you're living in opulence in America. You live like the king. Because the treasures are not treasures made of gold and silver and green paper. They're made of all that God has provided for you in Christ no matter where you live. Determined to live richly in Christ. This is the second half of the book, chapters 4 through 6. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. This is a transition. What's the first word? Therefore. Now, of course, you know, whenever you see a therefore, you need to what? You need to ask yourself, wherefore is that therefore, therefore? There's an important reason. What's the reason? Chapter 1, 2, and 3 is the reason. Paul's building an argument. You're rich. You're rich. You're in Christ. God has provided everything. There's nothing that you lack. He's lavished it on you. You're an adopted child. You belong to Him. He's given you everything. Everything that belongs to Christ is yours. Now, therefore, I, 
a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And that's chapter 4, 5, and 6. You're rich. Now I'm telling you, live like you're rich. If you don't live like a rich person in Christ, you're dishonoring the king. You're slapping God in the face. And all of the provision that he made and the sacrifices that he made for you, you're spitting upon them. Don't go back to that miserable, meaningless, destitute way of life that you once knew. Now that you're a child of the king of heaven and earth, there's no reason why you should go back to living in the spiritual poverty you once knew. There's no reason that you should continue in this marriage in constant conflict with your spouse. She may be in conflict with you, or he may be in conflict with you, wives, but you don't have to respond in kind. You can be a godly wife with a reprobate husband. You can be a godly, satisfied husband with a broken heart over your wife. You can be a godly parent, even with a child that doesn't want and refuses to obey. You got an adult child that's just, they're just off the map. You don't have to respond in kind. You don't have to respond to their sin. You can live a godly life. You got a boss that's just unreasonable. He's unholy. He's Ebenezer Scrooge with no morality at all. What are you going to do? You can live a godly life. You can. Because God has provided everything you need in Jesus. You see, God isn't just interested in filling our heads with theological truth. He wants... He wants to see real change and real victory in our hearts, in our lives. The idea of living is characterized by the word all through here, walk, and it's equivalent throughout the text. I want you to see it. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly what? Walked. Chapter 2, verse 3. Among them we too formerly lived. That's the synonym. Chapter 2, verse 10, For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Verse 17, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. Verse 8 of chapter 5. For you, formerly lived in, uh, for you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Verse 15. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. You see a pattern here? Paul's saying, in a nutshell, the message of Ephesians is this. Make sure that your practical walk is consistent with your spiritual wealth. Did you get that? Make sure that your practical walk is consistent with your spiritual wealth. 
God has freely given you everything imaginable to empower you to live victoriously in every area of your life. In Christ, you have everything you need to live in unity in the church. Follow this. Everything you need to live in unity as a church. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. In Christ, you have everything that it takes to live in a holy manner. Chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. In Christ, you have everything you need to transform those old habits of impurity, lying, lusting, bitterness, slander, and make them pure and worthy of praise from God. Chapter 4, verse 25 through 5, verse 20. In Christ, you have everything you need to be a godly husband or wife, a submissive child, a respectful employee, or a God-honoring businessman. Chapter 5, verses 21 through 6-9. In fact, God has even provided for you everything you need to engage the devil and his minions in battle and come away victorious. And not only that, but also to help others do the same. Chapter 6, verses 10 through 23. And that's the whole book. In short, you have everything you need in Christ to live in a manner that pleases the Lord and satisfies your own soul. So quit living in the garbage heap and start living like a king. Because you are one. You're a child of the king. And you've got all the privileges that his son has. Now it's important here that I point out that while living richly in Christ can only happen when you understand Christ's riches. Understanding Christ's riches can only happen when you acquire a strong knowledge of deep biblical doctrine. Usually when you hear a message preached out of the book of Ephesians, it comes out of what chapter? Five. Usually. Sometimes six. Spiritual warfare, right? It's always four, five, and six. Usually five, six. Usually when we hear a message preached out of the book of Ephesians, it comes right out of chapter 5 or 6, skipping everything previous to it. But folks, I want you to see that the Apostle Paul invests half the pages of his letter in an explanation of the deep spiritual truth first. Without a grasp of the deep, rich doctrine, the spiritual treasure is beyond your grasp. You can't bring the currency of heaven to bear upon your life unless you know how to get it. You ever been to another country and tried to figure out the coinage? You know, you go, I never forget us going to Mexico. How many pesos is a dollar? We don't know. You know, we needed David Hornberg to explain it to us. And even then, I was like, Charlie, <laughs> help me here. That's the way it is. Every time you run into a tough spot or a difficult path in your journey with Christ, and you can't think of one scripture, you can't bring one doctrine to bear on this circumstance. Guess what? You get all the riches in the world. You're standing in a pile of pesos, and you don't know how to deal with any of the coinage. And I suspect the reason that we see so much indolent and anemic Christianity in our day is because sound doctrine has been foolishly sold for a bowl of spiritual experience instead. We want our spiritual experiences we want the electric thrill of the experience, but we don't want the deep roots of doctrine. Is it any wonder that we're so weak and unable to gain the victory over the winds of temptation? We skip chapter 1, 2, and 3. It's too deep. We can't understand that. Really? If I told you that I was going to give you a million dollars 
in English coinage? Do you think you would take the time to figure out pounds and, and what are some other? Uh, I think they're using the euro now, but I don't even understand that. Do you think you would take the time to figure it out? I bet you would. And yet we say, oh, doctrine, that's dry, that's meaningless, I don't need that stuff. And you're snapping your legs right out from under you. That's why in our men's ministry here at Calvary Bible Church, we focus on teaching men doctrine. Because with, with the doctrine comes depth, and with depth comes strength, and with strength comes victory, and with victory comes joy. The joy of knowing your life is pleasing to the Lord. And it can't happen any other way. You jump to the experience, and you've just lost the whole treasure. And so here's what happened. You jump to the experience, you, you build your house on promise keepers or on some glorious worship service where everybody's happy and the rock and roll band is getting everybody excited, and it's a big pep rally, and you do that every week and every week and every week, and there's no depth, there's no doctrine. You just do it. You just do it. And if you feel bad, you go back and you get some more of that electricity, and you get feeling good, and guess what? Your child gets hit by a car and dies, and you're dead meat. You don't know how to respond to that. You built your whole house on sand instead of the rock, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you think you can know the Lord Jesus Christ without knowing the Word of God, you're mistaken. The doctrine of the Word of God is the truth of the Word of God. And without the truth of the Word of God, you have no life in God. This is our life. With doctrine comes depth. With depth comes strength. With strength comes victory. And with victory comes joy. Don't you want the joy? Don't you want the joy? Then you've got to start at the beginning. And so when Paul wrote Timothy, he said this. These things, Timothy, which, I, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Why? Because that's the root of everything else God has for you. And that's what we're all about. That's what Calvary Bible Church is all about. That's why Calvary is the center of our name. It's the center of our preaching. It's the center of our ministry. It's the rock. That's what pleases the Lord. You want to know how to live a rich and victorious Christian life? Study the Word of God until you've discovered your riches in Christ. And then you know what? Every day, every day of your life, you go in to the storehouse. You go into your bank account in Christ. And you say, Lord, I don't know what you have for me today. I don't know what you plan for me today. But I need to be prepared for big expenses. I need to be prepared for life to break down today. And, and, and so give me, give me some more of that stuff. Give me some more of the coinage of heaven. Give me more of Jesus. Give me more of his grace. Give me more of his mercy. I tell you, if you were to sneak into my, into my house and listen to me pray any morning or walk with me at night or in the morning, I walk with my wife at night now. I don't pray much in the morning on, on, the, on the walk. 
Will you sneak in and listen to me pray? The first thing you're going to be hearing is, God, be merciful. God, be gracious to me today. That's all I have. If you're not gracious to me today, I have nothing. I plead with you for more grace. And then I go into his word. God, give me something from your word. Fill me up. I got the bag open. Pour it in. Fill it up. I want more of you. I don't know what you've got planned for me today, but I won't be able to handle it if I don't make a withdrawal on my heavenly treasure right now. You want to know how to live rich and victoriously in your Christian life? Study the Word of God until you've discovered your riches in Christ. And then once you know how rich you are in Him, determine to live richly in Christ for His glory and for your own joy. I tell you, start living like that. Your marriage will start turning around if you're both believers. You know why? Because two people living by the Spirit, walking by the Word of God, will be able to get along. They'll love each other, even if they don't like each other at first. And you know what, brothers and sisters? You have a hard time getting along? You teach them to walk by the Spirit? Teach them to bring the Word of God to bear on their life? Let's start loving each other. Not perfectly. We don't love each other perfectly. You want to know how to be a a godly man on on a difficult job? You start living by the Spirit. Start bringing the Word of God to bear on your life. Start making changes in your heart. Ask your wife to help you. You've got a stubborn habit that just won't quit? immorality or something, bring the word of God to bear. Take a, 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 make, a, make a withdrawal from the spiritual treasure that God has made for you, provided for you. You'll be able to break it. You'll be able to break it. And here's why I know that. Because chapters 1, 2, and 3, God has given you everything you could possibly need for any situation in this life. Where? In Christ. Now, that's where we're going in the, in the book of Ephesians. You ready to go? I suggest you start reading it. Just, if you don't have a quiet time schedule, this is what I ask you to do. Crack open the book of Ephesians every morning. Read the whole thing. It's only six chapters. Take you about 20 minutes. Next day, get up, read it again. Next day, get up and read it again. Next day, get up and read it again. About the third or fourth day, you'll say, I didn't know that was there. Oh, who slipped that in? Oh, there's a verse I've never seen before. You already read it five times, but you missed it. And it'll start coming out. And you'll begin to see your life right there. Someone said, Chris and I were, were reading uh, a book by um, Pallison uh, recently. He said, you want to you wanna know how to be a biblical counselor? Those of you who are interested in that, and I know there's some that are. Let me give you some advice. His advice. You want to get your handle, hands around a model of biblical counseling? Master Ephesians all you have to do. Master the book of Ephesians. Why? Because God's promised right there, anything you need, you already have.